It turns out that sound quality really does matter for a podcast. And so we needed to move off our phone and actually get a proper mic. We did that this week. And that doesn't mean we actually read the manual and learned how to use the thing. So the next two episodes are going to be a frustrating display of our tendency to just jump in without slowing down to actually figure out what we're doing. Aaron and I set the mic on a table, but we're accidentally kicking the table the whole time we were speaking. So there are going to be a bunch of irritating thumping noises. We're so sorry about that. Just hang in there with us. We are going to nail this thing. We're fast learners. We will get this sorted out soon. This is the Enneagram 8 podcast, and we're here to take you inside the armor. The thing about talking about your story and your childhood is you sometimes get surprised by what's there when you start digging at it. I think I ended up crying twice. This was not as easy for me as I thought it would be. I really don't spend a lot of time looking back. When I finally did, I saw things that I had never considered before. And I've been pretty exhausted ever since, to be honest, but I'm glad I did it because I think it highlights some things that might be true of a lot of you. And if my story helps in any way, then I'm willing to take an emotional hit for your sake. Tell me a little bit about yourself as a child. I think if you'd asked me 10 years ago what kind of kid I was, I saw myself as a little bit more extroverted and lighthearted than I actually was. I think that's who I wanted to be. But then, just this past week or two, I realized that one of my friend's children felt very familiar. And she made me uncomfortable. I realized that kid is me. And the reason she made me uncomfortable is because the kind of kid she is, is quietly watchful and closed off. When I look at her, it's like there's like an echo of memory that happens where I feel like that kid again who was in a room, but was walled off. Right, you weren't part of the room. No, in every room I was walled off. And I felt totally alone, always. It's always been a little bit baffling to me because I had such a good family. I had an amazing mom and an amazing dad. I, I just couldn't square the fact that I felt so secure in my home with how insecure I felt out in the world and how guarded I felt out in the world. Just yesterday, a really hard thing kind of landed. And I thought, wait a minute, my mom was an alcoholic. My mom wasn't freed from her alcoholism until I was three years old. And then I started to imagine what happens to a baby lying in a crib, waiting to be attended to, picked up, and what's the, what's the likelihood that my mom was always available to pick me up when I cried? And what is the likelihood that I attached the way I should have? Um, there's a podcast called The Place We Find Ourselves, And he talks about how those early years, we don't remember them, maybe. They're not front of mind, but our they body remembers. Yeah. yeah. Our body remembers and our brain remembers. And... I think for three years of my life, I felt insecure as a little baby. And probably a little bit abandoned. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they say that's how eight wounding really begins to show and form personality is when you 
don't feel nurtured. And so you decide, fine, I will never need nurturing again. I am going to now be my own best friend, essentially. I will take care of myself. I remember you've said this before. There's just a marked difference in the kind of eight kid you were versus the kind of eight kid I was. I was always just so much more guarded than you. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and so much more. You called yeah. me a badass last week. <laughs> That's because I had... I detach from the world more than you, mm-hmm. right? And so I saw other kids as a threat, really. I only really made one friend at a time. I never felt okay in a group. And there's other factors, like I'm social last. That's a real thing. But I I just know how it felt in my body to be out in the world and in a group. And I just always felt like I was like this. I, I, you, can't, you can't see Joe right now. Oh, she has her fists up yes, in the air. Yes, my fists are ready up. To fu- ready yes, to punch someone. Ready to punch someone. Yeah, my internal posture is always the assumption that I'm under threat in some way. I do remember you like that, too. Yeah. Because you were almost like a contradiction to yourself all the time. And when mm-hmm. we were teenagers and we would scheme, or I would scheme up some sort of plan, you were always the person who would say, yes, let's mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. But you were always a little bit reserved till we jumped in. Once we jumped in, you're all in and you were all seven. And all of the new friendships you brought into our circle, I was just so wary. Like Mm -hmm. I felt wrong footed always until I wasn't right. But I never knew when it was going to switch. And, but I always begin every relationship guarded. It takes a whole lot of trust before I will, I will really, really settle into a friendship. Which is which is another way you and I are very different. I think yeah. I settle in too quickly, and then I, I back out <laughs> right. when I realize it wasn't the right fit. Whereas the friends I have are still with me, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're for life. I have a few memories that stand out where certain teachers, certain parents' friends, certain adults in my life that just took a very visceral and quick dislike of me. And I, I just remember being so hurt by that and and so baffled by it and it's only been through a little bit of thinking that I've thought I I think I look in my body like I was challenging even adults like I think my withdrawn prickly kind of cold stare because I (laughs) eights will look you right in the eye felt like disrespect to a lot of adults I wonder if a little bit of that has to do with the fact that we're not we are who we are and so sometimes we don't conform to the adult in the room's desire of what we should look like. I've heard something else too, is we are like kind of the ultimate levelers of authority. So everyone's equal. And I really, really feel yeah. that. So I don't relate to being starstruck. Mm-hmm. I was walking past the Plaza Hotel a few years ago and Robert Danny Jr. was out front. And he's, he's attract, I find him attractive. <laughs> I, I kind of nodded at him and I kept walking. Yeah. I, there was no reverence. I don't, I'm like, cool, man, you're, you're a good actor. Yeah. Nice. Like, I, I'm just not interested in pandering and fawning mm-hmm. over somebody. Yeah. So if you're in authority over me, I don't, I don't feel particularly submissive. <laughs> right. <laughs> I wonder too, though, because I also don't. I don't love fanning over people. That seems really weak to me as an eight. But I also wonder, I want to be seen as an equal. So I don't care who you are. I want to be seen as an equal. I want to like talk to you and actually like become friends with you. Mm-hmm. It goes the other way too, though, where I 
also I never feel less than someone right I never feel less and to me they never feel more I just we feel like we're on the same page everybody so I think I treated adults that way I for sure treated which might not have been seen as a sign of respect right? for because sure when you were children you were taught especially in the church absolutely you were taught to obey without yeah. any discussion for or sure. yeah yeah We are so excited to share something new we've been working on. We have now launched the Enneagram 8 community. This is a community where Enneagram 8s can come together to feel seen and heard for the heart of who they are, a place where you can just be you. If you're interested in joining us here, go to the Enneagram8community.com to sign up. I had an 8 mom, and I think how it went, if I'm going to trace it back, is... When I was three, she became sober, and then she became the best version of an eight. She became like a radiant sun of protection and investment, and kind of like your dad, she gave me all the leeway, all the tether, all the permission. She celebrated me. She thought I was so neat. I was never too much. She loved my strength. She just would smirk at my most obnoxious eight moments and, and challenged you totally challenged wrong. and we could give and take <laughs> oh we could give as well as we took and so I wonder if my little kid brain went from feeling neglected and detached in the world to clinging to her like nobody's business like she became god <laughs> to me yeah so then I didn't need anyone else after that I would say at three years of age, when my mom became sober, I attached to my mom and made up for all the lost ground, and she became the only thing I needed. I honestly... And she was your only attachment. She was my only real attachment. That's what I think. I like faintly attached to my siblings, and my friends were utilitarian. Like I, I saw them as someone to keep me company when I did what I liked doing, but I, I just didn't give my heart. Not really. I didn't. And that's painful to realize. Yeah. <laughs> to realize, yeah. So I think I was an awkward kid. I think that's what I'm realizing. I think I was like a cold, prickly, strange child that people could not figure out. I felt that. I really felt that otherness. And still it creeps up every now and then, but I, I felt it and I. I think eights are attunedly aware of what other people are thinking yeah. about us. Yeah. When I was a teenager in high school, what that kind of um, withdrawn thing looked like, it became more active and so that I actively differentiated myself from people. So as a kid, I just was watchful. But in teenhood, I became the nickname that I really resonate with from all the Enneagram literature is nonconformity. The moment I heard eight wing seven, the nonconformist, I was like, hi, yeah, that's me. That's the one I will wear <laughs> because there is this, this gut instinct to not go along mm-hmm. with what the group is doing, which it couldn't be more different than you. You, you love to get along with the group. I want to be me. I just needed to be so completely me. That's all I cared about. And so in a group when all the other girls were wearing like gap jeans and cashmere sweaters, I was like in combat boots and um, <laughs> my dad's 
t-shirts with beer logos and I like had wild hair and I just I did me I did me didn't I really didn't care that I wasn't like the rest of them and it it had a cost though to it right it meant that the invites to parties started to fade away right and become fewer I asked somebody from high school more recently how did she perceive me and she said we thought you thought you were better than us Right. And if I'm going to unpack that, I would say, no, I didn't feel better. I felt like I was me and I wasn't like you. I felt like I was being me. And in high school, it's so hard to just be you and fit in a group. There, there's kind of a call to become a, a bit of a, a mob. Yeah. yeah. And so high school just was never going to work for me. And so yet again, I focused on the boys. <laughs> high school was about boys for me. And, and it really saved me, actually. I mean, boys who were dear friends, you know, just it, it did just kind of get me through. So other than that, <laughs> um, really athletic, really wild, the happiest thing I could be doing was running amok through the neighborhood. Mom let me honestly just run with the, a pack of, of boys from the neighborhood. That's the other thing is I attached far better to boys than girls. Boys accepted me. Eights have a more masculine energy. Yeah, and in my childhood. Is oh, for boys. sure. Girls were wary of me and, and really didn't know what to make of that kind of energy, whereas boys didn't even question it. So I spent a lot more time with the neighborhood boys. We would like jump off bridges and... Um, <laughs> They were yeah, like up for your eight challenges. Oh, totally. <laughs> and I was up for th- for their yeah. masculine boy challenges. I just, they made me feel like I was supposed to feel. And then all of that weird reserve side of myself got stripped away. And then I was very seven-ish. I was eight wing seven in full throttle, full freedom. And I was goofy and I just felt light. I'm grateful for that because... That is what reminded me who I was. So that and time with my my mother. My dad uh, was for sure a two. He exudes warmth. Anyone would say that when you meet him. He's the kind of person that you you would just want to hug. I think what his two-ishness gave me was a sense of being adored. That's what I felt from him was adored. He did not see me clearly. I feel like he saw me with like rose tinted glasses. His, That's what his it felt child, like. His perfect little girl. Definitely. <laughs> yes, for sure. And do you know what? There was something maybe perfect about that. Because if I felt so alien in the world, how great that I had two parents that completely adored me. Mom saw me for who I really was. Dad saw me better than I was. And that kind of helped balance, tip the scale a little more in probably in building security for me. So the truth is that I I had a whole lot of warmth. Yeah, I, I remember your mom as a, as a young teenager. And one of the things I did love about your mom is that she really did love you for who you were, but she called you out. So I just, your dad didn't call they you did out. They call me out. <laughs> but I, I want people here to think that a perfect childhood is never being held accountable no, for our behavior, right? No. Because your mom was so good at mm-hmm. holding you accountable for behavior and seeing you and, and knowing what you were up to without ever knowing what you were up to. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. And I wanted her to catch me. Yes. I, I was like longing for her to call me out. I would leave my diary lying around. I would put myself in her way when I was being bad and like have extra swagger just so she would just let me have it. And that, and it felt like love to me. Like it, it just did. And so that without fail, she always did that. 
Um, I had a sister who's two years younger. She is a nine and she was just the most sweet companion. Uh, she was quiet. She <laughs> did not assert herself at all, which means I, I almost always got my way until I didn't. And she flexed hard. I think she was 14 when I had insisted she come with me to go do something outside. And she kind of turned to me and said, no. And nines are legendary for their stubbornness. And so when it kicked in, I was, I was shocked. I was quite taken aback and I could not move her from her position. And I started to respect her a ton at that point. So I think for a while she, she was like a pleasant playmate, but then I started to see her more as a, a peer. That's proven to be true still is she has a very sure sense of right and wrong and what she thinks and she will not hide that from me and and I really really enjoy that because I trust her I just I trust her I have a brother that came eight years after I was born so there was a bit of a gap he is a six he pushed my buttons magnificently I I don't think there's anyone in life who's ever done it quite like him he knew exactly what to do to make me a rager <laughs> I shoved him into a bush once. There was something in particular about him that made me just so angry. Um, we're now fast friends, but I definitely struggled with him when he was a kid. Do you think it's because he questioned the stuff you were doing a lot? He would say, this is so, and he would he would refuse to back down from that, yeah. even though it was patently false. So my dad's favorite joke about Daniel was, if it was day, Daniel would say, it is night. <laughs> and if it was night, he would say, it's day. And there was nothing we could do. And there's nothing more frustrating than for us to see reality as it is and for someone to be completely deluded and right. there's nothing you can do yeah. about it. Oh, yeah. No, there was something unmovable about him. And like we said, we love to unstick people who refuse right. to budge. And, you can't. and he was unbudgeable. Yes. So I had a stubborn nine and I had a unmovable six. And then came Connor. That was delightful shock because I was 18 when he came. So when mom found out, she burst into tear laughing. It was like cry laughing because <laughs> she was 41 and she just didn't expect it. And I was so thrilled. I remember like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, like good job guys. Oh, you still got it. <laughs> Ah, I was not embarrassed at all. I thought it was cool. I ended up with this little flaming red-haired brother when I was 18. He's a... Th I think he's a three or a two. We're still working on that, but he's one of the two. And he was just a delight. We, I was a mama to him. Mm -hmm. I, I taught him how to walk. And honestly, it's only two years ago that I saw him as a man. He's in his 20s now, but it took a while for us to stop treating him like a child because he was the baby. And he also is, um, also doesn't assert himself. He's very accommodating is what it felt like. And I remember not really knowing who the real him was. I didn't know what he really thought about something, which put a barrier up between how connected I could feel to him. And so I remember one time sitting him down and saying, if you don't show up and let me know who you are, I can't do this. Like, I can't, if you won't risk being you with me, how can we have a relationship? And everything changed. Like he came out of hiding and he's, he's an incredible guy. He's, a, he's actually got a whole lot of spunk and <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. And he's probably the funniest person I know. So 
that's our, our family in a nutshell. And like I said, I, all, all the problems were like a weird undercurrent under the surface that I couldn't figure out. Right? I, there was just this something. And I think I only just realized, honestly, yesterday that I was three. I was three years old before she was sober. And that just put a lot of, a lot of baggage on my little brain, I think. Eventually, I'm going to be okay with this revelation, but now it's tender. Mm-hmm. It hurts. I'm going to have to do a lot of work to think about, about how it shaped me. So how about we talk a little bit about your family? Like, who's at home with you right now? I met my husband, Aiden, because he was the boy next door, literally. (laughs) So he moved into the other half of the duplex we were in. He is a nine, and he is like a remarkable, steady man who has more grace in the world than anyone I know. He steadies me, and we're more balanced than I ever thought was possible. We married at 20. I was 20, so we've been married a long time. We're coming up on, I think, 18 years now. I have I have six children. So we had five children biologically, and then Aiden and I have been foster parents for 10 years, and we've fostered five little girls, and the last little girl has now been wrapped up in our family through adoption. So yeah, we've got six kids at home right now. So moving on to being an adult, how do you think the Enneagram has shaped you as an adult? I feel like I have a big sister heart. Like if I were if I were to describe the posture when I'm not in stress, which still looks like fists up, <laughs> but um, when I'm at rest, I feel like I come alongside People really, really see them and tell them I see them. I'm still no closer to being part of groups, closer to being someone that can get along with group identity and things like that. That's never changed. But I have approached people. Instead of watching them, I walk into lives all the time. And I mean, I once saw a woman crying at a counter at Starbucks. She was weeping and nobody was doing anything. They just, they didn't, they were so uncomfortable by Mm -hmm. her grief. So I went, I put an arm around her and she jumped. She actually startled Mm -hmm. to be touched in that way. I put an arm around her, directed her to her car and she said, I'm so tired. My husband has Alzheimer's. We can't get him into a home. I am his caregiver, and I couldn't even come in here to get a coffee without worrying that he was going to take off because he's in the car right now. And there he was in the car. The only reason she could get that coffee that day is because I told her I'd watch him while she went. I approach people on purpose all the time. And that's my way of connecting in the world. Well, I think part of us with the eights too, right? We see it as our job to do that. Yeah. It doesn't occur to us to look around and wait for someone else to, to go put your arm around that woman. Right. It's our, it, in that moment, it is our job. Yeah. And it, I see, we don't wait. Yeah. I see those people, the hurting people, as my community. You do. And you, have, you do it better than anyone I know. It feels really natural. There's nothing scary about it. There's nothing about them that makes me think I'm better. I, I just love them. Like the more hurt they are, the more I feel comfortable. They feel like my people. Like they really, really do. I, it, it doesn't matter how difficult they are. It feels like an honor to be able to love someone like that. Yeah, in a nutshell, the thing that's changed is that 
I have joined humanity instead of yeah. watching it. But my people look very different than other people's people. Mine are not very polished and tidy and they never have their stuff together. They're always the ones who are a hot mess and I, I like relate to them and uh, feel really at home there. So that's what I'd say. That's it for today. We hope by now you've realized there's a lot more going on under the surface. And you'll continue to follow along as we take you inside the armor. Oh, 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 oh